on, instead of just parenthetically saying, let the reader understand, to tell us, what is it that we're supposed to understand, O St. Mark? What is it that we're supposed to understand? The people, the church has seen this prophecy fulfilled in multiple ways. The early church saw the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. as the fulfillment of this prophecy. That the abomination of desolation, right, if you break those words apart, abomination, something that's repugnant to God and his law, and desecration, right, or, or desolation, rather. Is it desolation? No, yeah, desolation. Um, as something that makes us separate, that drives us apart. The early church saw that to be the Roman invasion of Jerusalem. And indeed, the invasion and siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD was a terrible thing. The church historian writing in the 300s, Eusebius, talks about it, and talks about how God's people fled when they saw signs of its coming. He writes, The people of the church of Jerusalem were commanded by an oracle given by revelation before the war to those in the city who were worthy of it to depart and to dwell in one of the cities of Perea, which, is, which they called Pella. To it, those who believed on Christ traveled from Jerusalem so that when holy men had together deserted the royal capital of the Jews... Josephus, a Jewish historian, writes about what happened next as the Romans came around and put siege, lay siege to the city and starved the inhabitants before taking it. He writes, But when they went in numbers into the lanes of the city, that is, the Roman soldiers, with their swords drawn, they slew those whom they overtook without mercy and set fire to the houses whither the Jews were fled, and burnt every soul in them, and laid waste to a great many of the rest. That's from Book 6 on the Jewish Wars by Josephus. Is there another such trial to come for the church? An abomination accompanied by tribulation, as has not been seen from the beginning of creation, or never will be, as Jesus says, well, it certainly seems possible. The church continued to see this enacted throughout history. We don't seem to have seen tribulation on the level to which Jesus is speaking. We've seen isolated persecutions. And you might make the argument that, sure, during, the, um, during um, his rule as Roman emperor in the 300s, Emperor Diocletian persecuted the church the world over. And that could be interpreted as this. And yet, there seems to be more going on. There seems to be more going on. Look with me now at the Gospel reading, particularly verses 21 and 22. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. And Jesus finishes today's gospel by saying, But be on guard. 
I have told you all things beforehand. Be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. You see, there's something worse than physical tribulation and persecution. When we think of it, we think of it in the physical realm. But Jesus seems to be saying that this tribulation or persecution won't just be physical. It'll be spiritual as well as physical. False Christs. False prophets. And he tells us that these false Christs and false prophets will even be able to perform signs and wonders. Now if you look at the Greek behind those words, signs and wonders, semeon and terao, these are words that are used to describe miracles. And so these false Christs and false prophets will even have the ability to mimic God and do miracles, things that are outside of the realm of nature. I don't think we've seen that yet to this level. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that by trickery and the demonic, these false Christs and false prophets will lead people astray. Be on your guard. So where are we as a church, where do we stand related to this? As we approach the season of Advent, the liturgy has us every year enter into this time of reflection on this very question. Right? So at the end of Pentecost, the season of Pentecost, the Trinity Tide, the, the end of the green season, if you're going by what's on the altar, right? We come to this point where the church says, where are you? Where are you to itself in relation to Christ? And the answer is, we are awaiting the second coming of Jesus. The time of Advent, the season that's to come next, is the time of active anticipation and preparation for Jesus' return. But notice there's a prerequisite for that, and that's to assess yourself to see where you are, both as an individual and as a person. Where are you in relation to this coming tribulation before the return of Christ? Now, lots of people will disagree on what the tribulation is. There's all sorts of, you know, books written, ink spilt upon, is there like this thousand-year reign and tribulation? And it the, the church historically hasn't gotten into that. It's something that Americans are preoccupied with. The church has said, look, now is a time of tribulation. Whether it's the great tribulation, we don't know. But suffice it to say, as long as Christ tarries, as long as he waits to return, the time of tribulation in the latter days is going on. And there are things that try our hearts and souls as well as our bodies. Oftentimes, in Scripture, we see echoes of prophecy. And so the abomination of desolation points, yes, to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel's time. Yes, to Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV, who called himself Antiochus Epiphanes because he said that he was God manifest in 167 AD, or BC rather. The Emperor Augustus called himself the Savior of the world. 
right? Those of you that have heard any preaching around Christmas know that Jesus, the proclamation of the gospel from Luke's gospel announcing Jesus is directly countering Augustus' claim to be Savior of the world. There are echoes throughout history of what the abomination of desolation is. There are, if you will, reflections of it that go on and on and on. And so this is a warning to us, particularly about the state. Anytime a government or a state attempts to take the place of God, it's treading into this area of the abomination of desolation. Anytime the state tries to say that we should defer to it rather than God, whether it's an emperor or a republic, when states begin declaring as law things which only eternal law or natural law can declare, be on your guard. Watch out for desolation and tribulation lay around the corner. It's very easy for us to look back at history, Roman history or Greek history or Hebrew history, and say, what fools? How did they not see that coming? Right? But it's so much more difficult for us to assess ourselves and the church in our own day and say that we see this coming. It's a pattern that goes throughout history and will go on until Christ's return. Wisdom and discernment is the first thing needed for this. For the threat of the abomination of, de of desolation is tied to, notice, a spiritual threat of false Christs and false prophets, right? And so people are led astray with deceptions to something that's not God, right? And in that, they're led to their own destruction. But, as we've heard the past several weeks and definitely saw with the uh, confirmation, the sevenfold gifts of the Holy Spirit include the gifts of wisdom and discernment. And wisdom is having a perception of what's going on around you. And discernment is having a special spiritual insight to interpret what's going on around you. You, friends, as Christians, have those things. And the author of Hebrews wants us to make use of them. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31 through 39. We won't read the whole thing. But look what the author says. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days. After you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. What's the author here talking about? He's talking about tribulation, both physical and spiritual. When people ridicule you because of your beliefs as a Christian, when people lay you bare, right? 
because you believe in an objective truth, because you believe that God has said some such things and they are not open for conversation, because you come up against authorities in the state that want you to do such things that are in conflict with God's law, because you resist the false gospels that are out there, the false saviors that are out there, the false things in politics or in culture which claim to be for your good and to be able to save you. When you're publicly exposed and reproached because you adhere to such things, this is not new. This has gone on since Jesus. It's gone on since the New Testament. It will go on to his return. But look what he says next. Verse 34. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. You see... What's this talking about? That we'll be secure in God even if the secure things that we as human beings try to put our own security in, our wealth, right? Our power, our uh, self-sufficiency, even if those things are taken away, we have this security in Jesus we have the security in Jesus that we can flee to him like that little child and grab onto his leg. For we have a better possession, he says, and an abiding one. Now look at verse 36. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while and the coming, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So wisdom, discernment, endurance, such things are things that the Christian has always been called to have in order to battle the spiritual and physical threats and tribulations. Are things going to get worse? Yes. I can confidently say yes. Things will get worse. But things also will get better. So don't listen to those who say that things get worse and worse and worse, and that the apocalypse is something merely to be feared. For it's also something, a revelation of something that is wonderful and great. All we have to do is look at the 20th century. More people killed than ever before in all the centuries combined. A terrible thing. Wars, famines, but also wonderful blessings. Medicine, properly ordered technology, things that save us, not in a spiritual sense, but things that bring about great blessings to us as human beings. Presbyterian scholar and theologian in the 19th century, 
late 19th century, James Denny wrote this. He said, the question is sometimes asked whether the world will get better or worse as it grows older. And optimists and pessimists take opposite sides upon it. I'm sure you've seen that. Perhaps you even see those tendencies in yourself, right? We all know those people that think that things are going to get worse and worse and worse, and people that think things are getting better and better and better, right? We could even look at our political system and see that. Both are wrong, says Denny. It comes not, it does not get better only, nor worse only, but both. How does he say this? Because he points to Jesus' parable of the wheat and the tares, right? The good and the evil grow up together. The wicked and the blessed grow up in the same field. He continues, good and evil come to maturity, bearing their ripest fruit, showing all they can do, proving their strength to the utmost against each other. Progress is not good itself or evil itself, but the antagonism of one to the other. Let's say that again. Progress, moving ahead in history, is not a good in and of itself or an evil in and of itself but the antagonism of one to the other. And so what are we to expect? We're to expect these swings from good and evil. From good and evil. These times of history where the pendulum swings to very evil things and very good things. And it's going to get more and more violent and more and more antagonistic towards one another until Jesus comes back and returns. So, what are we to do? Well, look at the end of Daniel. Verse 13. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Go your way. Go your way. Flee to Christ, but know that you will stand at rest at the end of days, that you have an inheritance imperishable, as the author of Hebrews says. Something that's better and abiding in a world that is not this world, or at least this instantiation of it. The promise that God has made here is that we can flee to him. The promise that Jesus has made here is that we can flee to him. The warning that God has made today is that we should flee to him. <laughs> the warning that Jesus makes is that we need to be aware so that we do flee, flee to him. Flee these things, friends, that entrap you, that take hold of your mind or your possessions and pull you away from Jesus. Flee them in no uncertain terms. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.